0: Welcome, everyone, to another Red Sox hot stove edition of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We have kind of an interesting show tonight. We're going to cover the Adalberto Mondesi signing, what that means, what we expect his role could be with the Boston Red Sox. Josh Taylor, Uh, Our lefty reliever that hasn't played in well over a year was the player traded to Kansas City uh, to receive Mondesi. So we're going to cover that. And then we are going to give our own projected lineups for uh, the 2023 season, at least to start off. So Cody Paulson with me tonight. Cody, how are you?
1: Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Always fun to be in the mix. Uh, this is one of the more exciting shows, right? You know, the lineup is starting to take shape. We're starting to see more of the pieces we can get excited about. Um, you know, players that we can expect to see on the diamond and and hopefully play those 162 games. And you know, if we're lucky, maybe more than that. How are you doing tonight, Gary?
0: I'm doing all right. It's been a busy week for content. Uh, we did our show. Uh, the other night talking about the uh, mob scene at the winter meetings. Bloom was I don't know I, I guess accosted by you know the large group of fans that uh, were on hand to uh, watch the town hall uh, session that they had so go back and check that show if you haven't uh, already and we've got the YouTube channel firing back up again. Uh, Nick Face and I kind of tag team in that one will probably add one or two people uh to the mix on there so um you can find more stuff over there but uh yeah i just this is busy for for late january like usually we're like begging for content at this point but it's been busy
1: i was gonna say this off season. i don't know if it's you know, there hasn't been that "quote unquote" flurry where everybody gets signed or everybody, you know, makes those deals all at once. It seems like it's been a little bit more prolonged this offseason. Which, hey, I'm all here for because, you know, we're we're already on the countdown for pitchers and catchers to report, and you know, I'm thrilled as a baseball guy to to have the winter shortened, so to say.
0: Yeah, and they announced some dates today. I don't have them up in front of me, but I do know uh, Friday. February 3rd that's truck day so all the equipment will leave Fenway Park bound for Fort Myers. I want to say don't quote me on this one but I think February 15th is the day pitchers and catchers report so right after Valentine's Day and then the first full squad workout is February 20th and I'm guessing maybe 2 or 3 days after that they'll have the you know the ceremonial um, first game. I think is that against Boston College.
1: Usually that, or, or Northeastern, or something like yes, that. Yes, right?
0: correct. So one of those two schools, and um, so those you know those events are are uh, within sight. So um, right around the corner. Absolutely. So all right. So we kind of. Got an unexpected move. I don't think Alberto Mondesi was a player on our radar. We knew we were going to have to acquire uh, another infielder uh, in light of Trevor Story having a uh, procedure done on his elbow. And we kicked around a bunch of names, and uh, this one seemed to come out of nowhere. And uh, Josh Taylor, who wasn't figured really to be a, a key uh, arm in the Red Sox pen was the player sent to Kansas City uh, in that deal. So what are your thoughts on it?
1: To be honest with you, uh, I'm a huge fan, right? If we were looking at the landscape of, of middle infielders uh, that we could have potentially brought in to, to shore up what we're doing on our side of the diamond, uh, I didn't think Modesty was going to be on the field. You know, he's a plus-plus kind of electric type guy, a lot of speed, um, you know, hits from both sides of the plate. I, I wouldn't have necessarily considered him an untouchable from Kansas City, especially coming off of an ACL injury. Uh, but I definitely didn't think he'd be a guy that we could flip Josh Taylor for and get a player to be named later, right? I mean, this guy played 15 games last year and still stole five bags. I, you know, he would, he would rank highly on our team with those five stolen bases as one of the bigger base-stealing threats that we had. And he played not even a tenth of a season. Um I'm thrilled, you know, obviously we haven't had the best of luck with injury histories in the past. We've had our own issues with our own medical staff and, you know, hopefully he's well on his way to being ready to, you know, report to spring training. Maybe it's a little bit of a delayed start for him, but um, you know, we have a guy in Arroyo who we don't want to play 162 games, right? He's a guy that brings, you know, high energy, a lot of charisma, a lot of excitement to the to the field but can't stay healthy. And so I think if you figure out a way to get 162 games at a short and at a second between the three of these guys, we're in a lot better position than we were, say, five days ago. Um, you know, I know there, we were talking about Iglesias a lot. Um, another fantastic option if we can sign him for the right price. But, you know, I don't I don't think we could turn Josh Taylor, who we haven't seen in who knows how long, into an Iglesias, let alone sign Mondesi for, I believe, what it was, $3 million? uh, incentive laden potentially, uh, on top of that for, for what we had to give up and, and the contract that we're signing Mondesi for, um, um, a full send on this one. It was a great deal in my opinion.
0: Well, Iglesias would have just cost money and then you DFA a guy, but, um, I'll I'll get to him shortly. Uh, but with Mondesi, I'm not a fan at all. And I'm going to go through some stuff. Right now, um, he's never played more than 102 games in a season, and the year he did that was 2019. His next most productive year in terms of games played was the year before that, 2018. That was only 75 games. Then it starts to drop off. You got 59 games in 2020. Ironically, that was only one game short of the full abbreviated season that they had, Then, you know, 47 games and 35 games. It's so this is a guy who can't stay on the field. And he debuted in 2016. That's when he made his major league debut. So he's been in the league for parts of seven years. Just for perspective, this is what went on in, in 2016 when he made his debut. That's when the Cubs won the World Series. Rick Porcello won the Cy Young that year. Chris Sale pitched that whole season for the Chicago White Sox. That's how long ago this was. Uh, David Ortiz played his final season. Dave Dombrowski, 2016, was his first full year in Boston. This guy's been in the league a while, and he hasn't really uh, demonstrated that he can stay on the field. Another thing, he just can't his whiff rate is one of the worst in in major league baseball. So is his chase rate like way worse than, than Franchi Cordero who ironically came from uh, the Royals. That was in the Josh Winkowski, Andrew Benintendi deal and uh, Jackie Bradley, his chase rate and whiff rate, nowhere near as bad as Mondesi. So, To me, this is just a a high bloom scrap heap guy that you're, it's just, it's high risk. It's high risk. And he's not going to be ready for opening day. I looked, I couldn't find what they think his ETA may be. Probably some point in May, he blew out his ACL last year so that's typically something that takes at least a year to recover from so he's going to have to spend some time in you know extended spring training to get ramped up for that but i'm not i'm not a fan i just feel like there were there were better options that were that carried a lot less liability
1: that that's totally fair you know he does come with the question mark of you know can he stay healthy right i think if we were trying to swap him as a one for one replacement for story who was slotted to be our everyday shortstop this would be a terrible move but i don't think we necessarily need him to be that which then alleviates some of the the negative factors that he does bring to the table because let's call a spade a spade right you you absolutely laid out a great case his In terms of percentages of games played, the one he did the best on was in in the curtailed season of 60 games. But if we dig into those stats a little bit deeper, the more games he plays, the better his stats look, right? So, you know, he's a a big strikeout guy. Sure, he's posted multiple seasons of over a 30% strikeout rate. But the games that he's done the best in, 2018, 2019, 2020, he's all below 30. When he's playing more than those 75 games, his average is over 260. So there there's a little bit of give and take to that for sure and absolutely I agree you know if if we needed him to play 162 games and we had to to lose you know Taylor and and potentially Barnes I don't know how Barnes factored into this you know we can touch on that a little bit later this looks a lot worse absolutely I I can't argue that either
0: Yeah I mean he's got a 244 career batting average not terrible What is terrible, in my opinion, is a career 280 on base. He just doesn't draw a lot of walks and just really ugly at times at the plate. He's a great defender and probably would be the best defender in our infield, actually. Um, And he can steal bags. If if, if it's tied in the ninth inning and there's one out and and Casas gets the first, He's probably coming out for a guy like Mondesi, but I I don't like it. The one guy... that's an
1: element to our team that we haven't really had outside of Durant. Like, we haven't really had speed in a while. It would arguably say since 2018-2019. That hasn't been a a facet of our offense.
0: Yeah, and looking down through the... We're going to go through our projected lineups, and I'm just kind of glancing through mine right now. There's just no bonafide, you know, base dealer that's gonna, you know, be safe 90% of the time on there. But um, yeah, so a guy I liked a lot more, and I'm not gonna, this might be the last time I talk about it for quite a while. I really liked Jose Iglesias. And 2013, he had, let's see, 215 at bats so he he played for about a third of the season before he was traded to detroit in the jake peavy deal that was a three-team trade but he hit 330 that season with a 376 uh on base a 409 slugging his ops despite only hitting one (laughs) home run he still had a 785 ops you know so very productive that year. Fast forward eight years later to 2021. We acquired him from the Angels, and again, this is Jose Iglesias, his age 31 season. He was ineligible for the postseason because the trade happened after September 1st, but still in a sample size of 23 games, which included 59 at-bats, Iglesias had a 356 batting average and a 406 OB, OPB, excuse me, o, on base percentage. Uh, I'm just, I'm frazzled right now because I'm like, we, we could have had this guy. And I'm guessing Iglesias probably would have been signed in the neighborhood of 5 million. That would have cost you 2 million more than what we're giving Mondesi, but I've seen him with my own eyes. Like I know, I know what Iglesias can do and I know the effect he can have on this team. And even last year in, in Colorado, he had a pretty decent year. He played in 118 games, 292 batting average, only a 328 on base, but I that's still 48 points higher than M- Mondesi's career on base. So I just feel like in terms of a platoon with, with Arroyo, he was the perfect guy. There's no real righty-lefty split for them. It's just the platoon purposes is just load management, and it, it would have been a perfect balance. And I think if you put Iglesias in that nine hole, you you gain an extra leadoff hitter the first time through the order. And There's a good chance he's going to punch one through the gap and, and get on base and... Now we've got Mondesi, and it's just a complete wild card. And it's just a, in my opinion, and I'm in the minority for the crew. This was generally a well-liked move amongst the entire crew as a whole. I'm the, I'm the one, you know, I'm the one that didn't like it. But it's, it's just a high-risk move by Heimbloom. And it stands to be an example of many that Bloom just hasn't gotten right. Just another bad Bloom decision. You know, we've suffered through Bobby Dahlbeck. We've suffered through Franchi Cordero, Jackie Bradley, and Mondesi just has red flags written all over him.
1: So you're going to give Bloom credit for Iglesias the second time then or no?
0: I thought it was a good move. I thought it was a good move. Was, I, I wanted to hear
1: you say it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I did. I I thought it was a good move. Yeah. I'm just mad he didn't trade for him eight days sooner. <laughs> that way we yeah, could have got him. I
1: mean the timing was the timing was definitely tough to you know who knows what that off or postseason looks like if if he's on the roster, right? Because you're you're absolutely right. Iglesias was cooking down the stretch in that 30 game sample size. Um who's to say he's not still out there, right? I mean, we still have what I think five to six, upwards of $9 million, uh, to, to play with. Um, you're right. Uh, you know, to, to give some insight into the warm, uh, conversations that we had, it was a generally well-received move. Um, I think people are enamored with the upside that he brings because he is, you know, a speed guy can not get triples, can turn singles into doubles, Steal bases. The problem is, you know, your best ability is availability. Um, and to trade a guy that hasn't been available for another guy that hasn't been available, why not, right? Because if you're looking for players that have the upside that Mondesi has when he's healthy, I don't think there's many out there. Iglesias is great. He does have a good on-base percentage, has a great you know batting average, a lot of singles. Which, you know, with this lineup that has a high on-base percentage and you know a high contact rate, I like that. I think he fits in. Very well with what we're trying to build here in in Boston, which might be a team that looks a little different than what we're used to, but that doesn't mean it couldn't be competitive either. Um, You know, hopefully, as as the winter kind of continues to go on, uh, you know, maybe we we keep the line warm with Jose and say, hey, you know, it's a little bit closer to spring training. The phone's not ringing. Do you want to come in on a on a potentially cheaper deal that still gives us some of that flexibility that we're looking for financially? Who's to say?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would love it. I, I think for that to happen, I think we'd have to free up some money. Um, and perhaps that could come in the form of Matt Barnes. Not sure. We'll actually get to him in a second because that he was designated uh, for assignment to make room for Adam Duvall. But uh, before we do get into that, with Arroyo, I mean, he still has to start most of the games, doesn't he? I, I mean, Arroyo, I've got his numbers up right here. He's a bona fide major leaguer. Now, like Mondesi, he has had trouble staying on the field. I don't remember him going on the injured list last year. He might have once, and and maybe it was brief. I, I don't remember. Um, but for the most part, he was healthy, and he was the super utility guy, and that was a perfect role for him because he only played 87 games, and that's all you want him to play. But he hit two eighty six last year, and uh 296 against lefties. So, pretty decent numbers, a 322 on base. Uh, you know, he goes he goes yard just enough to to kind of keep, you know, the pitchers honest. Uh 2021 a little bit more injury uh riddled, but you know, 57 games he still hit 262 with a, a fairly robust uh 324 on base. So, um, this is a guy I want in most of the time, you know, maybe maybe sit him once or twice a week is, is the most I really want to see. And in a perfect world, Trevor Story comes back by maybe late June, early July. And and then, man, if we're still in it, you know, by then, who knows?
1: Yeah, I mean, these moves could all, you know, I think I think you brought up a great point, right? If, if Trevor story's brace procedure goes well, he's back, you know, in the time frame that he, he claims that he can be ready for, you know, Kike can go back to center. We just have all that more flexibility and we're not relying on 120, 130 games out of Arroyo. Cause I think you're absolutely right. He, he is at his best when he is that platoon guy, whenever we can move him across the field, you know, slot him in for a big at bat Cause he has a penchant for the moment. He always seems to come up with, with the big hit or if, If he gets an out, you know, he hit the ball on the screws, he just hit it right at somebody, you know, which I'll take that. It's better than, you know, leaving the bat on your shoulders Um, for the infield flexibility that modesty gives us. I think it, it does have an upside and it alleviates some of the pressure for Arroyo to be in the lineup every day, which I don't know if he can physically hold up over what is, let's be honest, a very grueling 162 games.
0: Yeah, I, I, if Arroyo ever plays 120 games at any point in his career, I'll, I'll be pretty surprised, and I, I don't think that'll be, you know, with the Red Sox, uh, you know, at any point. I think he's arb two right now, making two and a half million. So, um, all right. So, very surprisingly, I mean, this wasn't really on. I don't think anybody's radar, but. Matt Barnes got DFA'd yesterday and I was not a big Matt Barnes guy. I just, it was every year was a roller coaster with him. He would, he would pitch two brilliant months, fall off the cliff, spend the next month or two trying to get it back. Sometimes he would. Um, His best year was 2019. He had like a 15 point, whatever strikeout per nine, I think led all of major league baseball. Uh, And then 2018 was a roller coaster, but he did figure it out going into the playoffs. And I think in three appearances in the World Series was scoreless. So um, he had his ups, he had his downs, but I just, I was just tired of the roller coaster at that, at this point. So I'm not sad to see him go. Um, He does have, the Red Sox are on the hook for $7 million. A team has, I think, it's either five or seven days to um, to claim him or work out a trade with the Red Sox uh, from the moment he was DFA'd. And uh, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure the Red Sox are really going to get out of the, the financial part of it. But I would have thought Bloom would have been stubborn and tried to work out his investment because he he did pitch in his last 22 appearances to a one59 era a lot of people weren't watching by that point because it was late in the season and we were out of it but um i'm just i'm surprised Are are you gonna miss him at all
1: no i've never been a barnes guy myself either uh credit where credit's due i will give him this we knew from the first pitch of each outing what outing we were gonna get Uh, You could tell very early if he had it and if it was going to be a lockdown, stress-free night, or if it was going to be, oh, man, he walked the bases loaded and somehow, you know, he's got that three-hole hitter and he can't find his curveball, right? Um, I was surprised as well with the move uh, to get rid of Barnes strictly because of the number that was attached to him, right? That's dead money. Um, At this point in time, I think we're only committed to a couple hundred thousand dollars in dead money this year and next year outside of Barnes, so we did, you know, some some great financial footwork to free ourselves in terms of dead cap space. Right. You know, we've had to get out from a Crawford deal from a Sandoval deal from the price deal. Like we've had all of this financial baggage in the past and to not have that moving forward, I think is, is advantageous. And, and here we are again, you know, obviously 7 million is different than 20 to 30, but um, there's other guys on the roster that I thought would have been shown the door before Barnes strictly because of what you mentioned. Right you know he'll have these hot stretches it's just can we time them correctly he would have been a great sixth or seventh inning guy maybe even eighth if he's if he's playing pretty well because we have jensen uh to to close out the ninth and he does have good stuff when he can locate it um so you know he's a local kid i believe he went to UConn if i'm not mistaken uh so you know he he carried some favor there um it was pretty surprising, but as as somebody who was always extra nervous when I saw him on the bump, I'm I'm not the the saddest to see him go, to say the least.
0: It, it is somewhat surprising, you know, to see Brazier survive him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, apparently the word was that the Red Sox thought he wasn't as good as. His 1.59 ERA suggested uh, that was according to Chris Catillo of Mass Live. So, um, you know, so uh, I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to miss him. Surely someone's going to take a flyer uh, that needs some bullpen help and try to fix him. You know, every team seems to think their program is what that player needs. And sometimes, you know, there's some good ones out there, you know, namely the you know, the Guardians or the Rays, uh, the Astros are pretty good. I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they were a team that, um, you know, were to were to look at him. So just off the top of my head, has Vasquez signed yet? Because um, I, I just mentioned the Astros. I think
1: he signed in the at the Twins, right? He's going to do. the Oh, he with, did. Uh, yes. Sanchez.
0: Yes, he he did sign with the Twins. All right. That makes perfect sense. I knew the Cardinals were looking at him, but they went with um, Contreras. Contreras. Yeah. I'm just drawing so many blanks tonight. Uh, Yeah. So, um, okay. So that was just a random Terry moment. All right. Let's go ahead and get into our projected lineups for um, 2023. I mean, this roster is basically set. I can't see a major move happening at this point. Uh, so go ahead. Let's uh, do yours first. Go through your one through nine.
1: Yeah, uh, the roster that I kind of came to uh, is probably one that's fairly unsurprising. I don't think there's any any hot takes out of it. Maybe you know uh, a couple of switches here and there. Um, it might be one that you've seen passed around a bit on on the old Twitter. Uh, I have Yoshida batting lead off. I like the fact that you know he takes a lot of walks, doesn't strike out a bunch, um, is willing to go. You know. Uh, foul pole to foul pole a lot of contact there um i like hernandez out of the two hole if you can essentially bat two leadoff uh hitters back to back i don't think that ever hurts you um plus you get the lucky righty split you're going to see that a lot in the lineups that i like i like to alternate um side of the plate i like devers in the three i know that we've seen a lot of uh power hitters you know you'll you'll have rizzo batting 2 you'll have judge batting two um you know, rizzo did it. you know for chicago uh Soto has done it for both Washington and San Diego um I like a more traditional lineup you know if, if you can get a three spot in in the first inning that'd be ideal obviously you know if you can draw it up that way um and I have him protected by Justin Turner followed by Verdugo and I think Verdugo in the five spot is is what's going to give length to this lineup um verdugo is another guy that you know if you're not asking him to hit home runs if you're just asking him to stay through the ball hit line drives you know he'll lose a couple and send him over the fence for sure but i don't want that to be part of his game i want him to be a doubles guy i want him to be uh you know a mover runner over uh, while staying on base kind of guy and i think he he accepts that role too he's not the one that's trying to swing for the fences um and you know, if, if we're still up in the first inning, or you know, we've got some guys on Duval to clean up in the sixth spot, uh, would be great. Um, you know, especially when you get to the bottom third of the lineup, I know we've experienced it in years past where it seems like, cool, this is just a, a time warp to, to the next inning because these guys get out so quickly, but you're also not necessarily expecting them to be that, you know, 330 OP or OBP uh type batters right um you know a pop here and there is is all you're really asking for um given that Mondesi is healthy I have him batting oh sorry I I skipped right over uh Cassis um batting seven that's that's my mistake there I was I got a little ahead of myself um yeah Cassis seven Mondesi eight and then Maguire nine um before we flip it back over to Yoshida at the top
0: Okay, so our one through seven is the same, believe it or not. We have the same lineup. Um, I'll put Yoshida. I'm I'm the most skeptical of anyone on the crew about Yoshida. I've said this ad nauseum. I just don't have a lot of faith in position players that come from the Asian markets. It's been so long since, outside of Otani, of course, but he's like a unicorn. Um, It's just been so long since we've had a really good one. Um, you got to go back to either Shinsu Chu or even Hideki Matsui and you're like late two thousands with him. So, um, but I'll buy into the hype for now and I'll I'll put him uh, up at the top of the order. A lot of people still have Devers in the two hole regardless. And I don't like that because I don't want two lefties being at the top of the order. I think you have to split them up and I don't think making the playoffs, is completely dependent on Devers hitting second or third. I mean, he should be able to hit from either, and you should be pretty well balanced, I would say. So, Kike, just naturally a top-of-the-order guy. Um, I've got him in the two-hole like you do. Uh, I don't love Turner hitting fourth. I don't think he's a four-hole hitter, but simply, that's what we have to do. I mean, your only other option is is Adam Duvall and he's like a career like 285 guy uh, with an on base. So do you want a guy who's going to strike out all the time, you know, hitting in that cleanup spot after Devers? Devers wouldn't get pitched to if that was were the say, case. I
1: would say Devers wouldn't see a single ball. Exactly.
0: To hit. So it's not a perfect lineup, so that that's Turner in the fourth spot, but he should at least you know, allow Devers to to see some pitches. Alex Verdugo, I love him anywhere. I you know, he's going to put together some good at bats. I I do love him in the five spot and he did hit there quite a bit last year. Then finally Duvall, uh, you know, I'll put him uh you know in the 6th hole. Casas is interesting because he could move up. I mean, he projects out to be a harder of the order guy, but he, you know, for now until he gets into a groove, the 7th spot is good. I actually this is going to be a debate, and I might, on social media, on uh, for the listening audience, this will be on Thursday, I'll ask, who should the starting catcher really be? Do you, do you want it to be Maguire, or do you think Wong has the more upside? You went with Maguire. I think it's Connor Wong, and I know I've been beating that drum a little bit. He projects out as having a little bit more power. He was explosive in the minor leagues, so... I have him hitting eighth after Casas, and then uh, I like Arroyo in the in the nine hole just because, again, perhaps he's the extra leadoff guy once the order goes through. So that's why I, I like to have a good... I like to have a pretty good player in the nine hole and, and your worst hitter in the eight hole is how I, yeah. I typically like to run it out. Um, now, let's just play what if. Let's say I'm right about Yoshida and he's just he's struggling and you know major league pitching is is a lot for him and you know he's not coming out of the gates that strong. Then at that point, I simply bump everybody up one. So Kike goes back to lead off where we knew he could do it. I still like Devers for some reason better in the three hole, but in that scenario, I'm going to put him two. So literally everybody just goes up one and then. This is what the bottom third of my order would look like if if Yoshida comes out of the leadoff. I would put Arroyo seventh, then I would go Yoshida, and then I would go Wong. And I, I know I said I like Arroyo better in the seven hole, but I don't think Wong should be that high. So it's not a it's not a perfect scenario. Another thing, and I'm not gonna break this down, but what happens if if Casas does go up? I think at that point. You are better off with Devers in the two hole and Casas in the in the four hole, but if Devers stays in the three hole, I think the highest you can put Casas is the is the five. So there's a lot that can happen throughout the season that will make this uh, kind of an interesting lineup. And then, and then when Story comes back, what do you do? <laughs> we actually, fun fact. Uh, maybe a week, week and a half ago, we did a show on what our projected lineup would be, but that was before the story news came out. And as fate would have it, we had a bad technical glitch that basically ruined that whole recording anyway. But I was saying put story in the two hole in front of Devers and... The reason I like Story there is because they have to pitch to him with Devers mm-hmm. behind him. So he's usually one of the worst in MLB for strikeouts. So I think if you put him in front of Devers, the strikeouts come down a little bit, and that at that point you're just maximizing your investment in Trevor Story. So I wouldn't mind seeing him uh, go into um, you know the two hole. But he could also lead off, so it'll get pretty intriguing once once he comes back, if in fact he comes back uh, this season. But yeah, any uh, any other thoughts on on the lineup?
1: I mean, I think it's a coin flip between mcguire and wong obviously we saw mcguire up last year did well behind the plate you know had had enough big hits to where you were comfortable seeing him there could it be another you know sandy leone christian vasquez split time behind the dish you know each pitcher has their kind of catcher situation maybe right you know you don't want a you don't want a guy grinding out 158 games behind the behind the plate on his own but um you know, I, I said modestly if he's healthy, obviously you, you swap in Arroyo in that same position, and then maybe like you had mentioned, right? You flip Arroyo and, and McGuire so that way you're not going lefty lefty or your worst hitter nine. I, I agree with that, and I think we saw a shift in that a few years ago to where they started banning catchers eight and then uh, a quasi leadoff guy ninth just to you know get a little funky with it to see if he can get something going. So that way, by the time the leadoff guy comes on, there's not two automatic outs, and he's like, "Cool, what are we doing here? We burned an out.
0: Yeah, in the National League before the DH became a thing, and I, was that I think it was last year was the first year for that. Um, although I think they did it in 2020 as well. Um, but Joe Madden famously would always hit his pitcher in the eighth slot, and I, I always liked that. But yeah. I'm just pulling up some numbers right now. So Connor Wong only hit 188 last season. That was in 27 games, 48 at bat. So he didn't really stay in the full length uh, most of the time. But um, he did have... His on base was was 80, 85 points higher than his uh, batting average. So he was definitely... Drawing some walks, so 188 doesn't look super great. How many home runs was that? So he hit one. Okay, let's go over to McGuire now and see how he hit in a, in a small uh, sample size here. Uh oh, McGuire. Okay, I tried to spell his name differently. So doing it on the fly here. I just pulled it up. So wow, McGuire hit. 337. Wow, I didn't think he was that good. I knew he wasn't terrible, but perhaps maybe he does become the everyday catcher then. I I guess I should have checked on that before I pulled it up. But he was hitting over his head, though. So let's just, with Chicago, he was only hitting 225 with a 261. So perhaps perhaps they both kind of migrate to the middle there. Wong hits a little better. Um, Maguire comes down a little bit. My only concern about Maguire being in the lineup is, and we've talked about this in the war room a lot, that's potentially five lefties in the lineup because Yoshida's going to start every day. Devers definitely going to start every day. I-, I would say Verdugo as well. I-, I guess you could you could sit Costas against lefties, but then why would you want to bring, bring in Maguire in that situation because he's also a lefty? So that doesn't even fit. So you could have potentially five lefties in your lineup. I'm just, that's not which, sexy. Which
1: speaks to what you were saying, batting the catcher uh, eight and then the second baseman nine, right? So if you go Maguire, we'll say in the scenario, he continues to bat above his head. Uh, he goes eight and your only lefty lefty back to back is seven, eight versus nine, one, right? If Mondesi and Arroyo are playing, Second base, shortstop, depending upon the day, because Mondesi is a switch hitter and Arroyo is a righty. Correct. Correct. Yeah, which would then break it up a little bit better, as opposed to going to nine-one lefty-lefty.
0: Yeah, and I I was also thinking back to our catcher situation. The last few years, we had two righty catchers, um, Mm -hmm. Plawecki and and Yeah, so there was no like split there. You know, there was no platoon really. Um, and
1: Sandy was a switch hitter, too, right?
0: Sandy, I think, was. Yeah, I think he preferred to hit from the lefty spot. But just mm-hmm. thinking on the fly, how many lefties did we have back then? We had Moreland, who was always platooned. Uh, we had mm-hmm. Ben and Devers. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, we've always had a number of lefties, I guess. But, um, yeah, so it's not a perfect uh, situation. And I think Wong and McGuire are both trade candidates under, you know, cer- different sets of circumstances. But I think Wong just based on his career minor league numbers is, you know, has the higher upside. Let me uh, pull that up right now. I get it right here. So his career minor league Batting average is, uh, let's see, 276. So he's a 276 hitter uh, in the minors with a 337 on base and career OPS in the minors of 833. So, and 71 home runs in the minors. So, good. I mean, R- Reese McGuire, let me pull him back up. He's got like maybe 10 home runs. Uh, in his whole career, <laughs> let me pull him back up real quick. Sorry for the awkward pauses, everyone. I'm just, I wasn't planning on getting into a, uh, a catcher versus catcher here, but in his entire career in the major leagues, actually Reese McGuire's hit 12 home runs with only 48 runs batted in. So I just think the upside, you know, for Wong is, is a lot better, but, um, you know, it's just whether or not there'll be a major league manager somewhere that will commit to him. I don't uh-huh. think Jason Veritek was ever projected to be the player he ended up being either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was one of the best trades ever. Who who went to Seattle in that one? Um, Didn't we get
1: Lowe and Veritek? Yeah, those trade?
0: those were the ones who came back and we sent like a, I think it was just for a relief pitcher.
1: Yeah, uh, hold on, I'm pulling it up. No, oh Heath Heathcliff Slocum.
0: That's who it was. Yes, and uh, yeah, that was in 1997. That's crazy, but um, but yeah. So some of these guys just emerge, and Vasquez didn't have great offensive numbers either coming up, and mm-hmm. he was a defensive wizard, and that's what they loved about him, and he ended up being a you know a top. 6 or 7 catcher you know throughout his late 20s so um you know and that was
1: after the uh Tommy John surgery
0: that was after it yeah i think 2017 was his first uh kind of a breakout season and uh-huh. i think that was his second year back and 2018 2019 were all pretty good um 21 not bad and last year he seemed to have a little bit of regression but you know, catchers are going to have those seasons. So, uh, I think on that we can wrap. Unless uh, you got any final thoughts?
1: I'm starting to get excited, man. I mean, you know, we can talk all the speculation we want. We can, you know, try to project it out, say what we think is going to happen. But we're we're getting close enough to where we can smell it. You know, baseball's in the air. We're talking about truck day. We're talking about pitchers and catchers reporting. It's all exciting stuff, and you know as soon as the first pitch gets thrown, all of what we said over the winter gets thrown out the window and we have, we have new opinions, but uh, just excited to see the team and see what they can put together.
0: The intriguing thing for me with spring training is Chris sale and James Paxton, and even Corey Kluber. Cause if things aren't going well and one or two of them get hurt, I, there's just going to be panic, you know, in the front office and, you know, do you, do you get Trevor Bauer in an emergency or do you make that trade that kind of painful trade with another team to acquire someone? I, I just, I don't know, but Bloom's ass is on the line and you know, so that that's the, the curious thing for me was spring training and other spring trainings passed. This one was a little while ago, but I couldn't wait to see Hanley play first base. You know, I think that was coming into 2016 and I'm like, man, I just want to see what it looks like for a game. And to my surprise, he was more than adequate.
1: (laughs) And he had his great numbers and he's playing DH too. I was, I really wish that one worked out better.
0: Yeah. He just, he kind of fell off. Did you hear about that, that report? And it ended up being false, but there was an insane like two hour period on a Friday one year. I think it was the same year we DFA'd him, 2018, there were like rumors on the radio that he was about to be charged as like a drug kingpin or something, it's something in the islands, right? Yeah. It was like something crazy. Oh, I thought it was in, Ma- yeah, you could be right. I thought it was in Massachusetts, but, but then it, it gets shot down like, you know, before the night was over and that was crazy. Speaking of crazy too, um, I may as well save this for the tail end, but have you heard those DeMar Hamlin, uh, conspiracy theories?
1: I people need to go outside and and take a walk. Uh, <laughs> there's enough going on with with Damar Hamlin on his road to recovery as it is that I don't think we need to to get into if he's real or not. Like that's yeah, well, the, a lot.
0: The I don't believe in it, but the the conspiracy theories for the audience, if you don't know, is that he really did die on the field and. And that there's a body double of him making all these appearances. And what's what spawned that is because in all of his pictures taken, you can't see his face. Like his hood's pulled down a certain way. And then when he was up in one of the executive suites for the playoff game, it was snowing so bad you could only see like his silhouette. So like there's this insane Damar Hamlin theory out there. But I'm like, what's the, what's the benefit of that? Like what's the end game? And how did, how did the body double get the passwords to his social media accounts? And Mm -hmm. and why did the family agree to pose with the body, body double if this was all legit, but yeah, I love a good conspiracy theory, but that one, I, uh, you know, I immediately dismissed. So yeah,
1: go outside, take a walk, get some fresh air yeah do something different it's not worth it's not worth your time
0: <laughs> It's just a slow week in sports I guess with football yeah. winding down and baseball not quite here yet so all right uh, that's a that was a fun one to end on but we'll be back probably Sunday uh, we'll come up with a reason so everyone uh, enjoy the rest of your week take care.